Lord, we do thank you for this opportunity to be together. We thank you for the fellowship that we have the opportunity to enjoy this morning, and even the fellowship that we have the opportunity to enjoy as a, as a collection of faithful churches throughout the region. Uh, Lord, we are so blessed to benefit from this fellowship. We're, we're so thankful for the leadership and vision of Pastor Leek to forge these relationships between these churches and We're thankful for the way, through your Spirit, these relationships have begun to blossom and bear fruit. So we thank you for that, and and even now we thank you for this opportunity to come before your Word. Uh, Lord, as we've already discussed this morning and heard this morning, uh, we live in a world with with much trouble, and so it does our troubled souls good to be able to come before your Word. So we pray now that you would use your word to comfort our souls. We pray that you would use your word to give us godly discernment. We pray that you would use your word if there's someone here this morning or listening this morning who does not know Christ as their Savior. We pray that through your spirit, by your word, you would move in their hearts to bring them unto salvation. And of course, we pray all of these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, you can turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This morning we're going to be looking together at verses 19 through 22, and I've titled this morning's message, The Discernment of a Useful Church. You see, in this section of 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul is sort of winding down his letter to this church in Thessalonica, and he's providing them with a number of principles to ensure that they will be useful in the service of the Lord. You see, Paul, as the founding pastor of this church, did not want anything in their ministry or in their character to hinder them from serving the Lord in any way. And part of what the Apostle Paul understood is that if this church was going to be useful to the Lord, they would have to be discerning in the world in which they lived. And if that was true for the Thessalonians, it's just as true for us today. If we are going to be useful to the Lord, which is our aim, I want to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant, and I know you do too. That means we want to be useful to the Lord. And If we are going to be useful to the Lord, part of what we are going to need by His grace is discernment. And one of the things as a pastor that I worry about in this day and age is that the church has lost its discernment by listening to the world. There are so many ways in which the world is trying to influence us, so many ways in which our our view of reality is influenced by things like cable news or, or social media feeds rather than the truth of God's Word. We are a generation of Christians in desperate need of discernment. And this passage helps us a little bit with what it means to be discerning. So look with me. I'll begin reading in verse 19, and I'll read down to verse 22. And you'll have to be patient with me. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV. I know most of you have a New American Standard, and I grabbed the wrong Bible this morning on my way out to the door, and this is what we use in our church. But it's close. 
I'll try to point out some of the differences that I noticed in study this week, but you can be patient with me as I read from the ESV beginning in verse 19, where the Apostle Paul writes, do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. And here, the principle underlying Paul's encouragement in this text is that discernment is an important part of the Christian life and an indispensable virtue in a useful ministry. The, the, the wisdom of knowing the difference between truth and error, the, the wisdom of knowing the difference between almost true and absolutely true. Being able to distinguish that which comes from God and separate it from that which comes from the world. Being able to identify the, the influences that are just assaulting us all the time and, and to see where they come from and, and where they might lead. To, to be able to have clarity on all of these things is what it means to have discernment. Discernment is the skill of recognizing that which is true, that which is good, that which is holy, and being able to separate that from the blatant errors and the subtle lies and the misguided priorities that we see all around us in the world. And this kind of spiritual skill, this wisdom of discernment, it's required in all areas of our lives. Believer, you need to be discerning. You need to be discerning of your own heart and motives, able to examine your heart and, and recognize your motives so that you can test to see if they're, they're holy and Christ-like or they're idolatrous and would take you away from Christ. You need to be able to distinguish in your own heart between submission to the Lord and selfish lust. You need to be discerning also of Satan's influence over the world system. You need to be discerning and recognize how the culture subtly deceives us to pursue the priorities of the devil rather than to pursue the truth of God. And you say, no, I've recognized that. That's why I watch this cable news network, not that cable news network. It's all the world. It's all the world, and Satan has an influence over all of it. We as believers have to be discerning of these things. And of course, not only do we need to be discerning of what's in our own heart and, and what Satan might be doing in the culture, but, but we also need to be discerning uh, of the potential false teaching that happens in the name of Christ. We need to know the difference between true theology and heresy because it's never been more popular to preach heresy than it is right now. As believers, we need to be a discerning people, and if we are not discerning, we run the risk of hidden sins in our own life. We run the risk of worldly thinking on how we view the reality around us, and we run the risk of an unbiblical theology guiding our faith. We need to be discerning. We live in an age that calls for constant 
alertness, constant discernment. Believers, there has never been more opportunity to gratify your flesh in secret than we have in the world today. There have never been more outlets for Satan to try to influence God's people than we see today. Media, TV, internet. These things aren't necessarily evil in and of themselves, but you understand that Satan has his fingers all over it. There have never been more false teachers trying to influence the church for greedy gain than there are today. Used to, if you were a heretic, you would be executed. Now you get your own private jet. Heresy is big business. That's why you can't assume that every influence that seems normal to you and and feels right and claims to come from God is actually the truth. We need to be discerning. And we are not the first church that has needed to be discerning. In fact, the church in Thessalonica to whom Paul was writing in this epistle was in desperate need of discernment. Desperate need. If you understand what's going on in the book of Thessalonians, you recognize this was a church with with little to no experience. These were all baby believers. Paul went there, shared the gospel, they got saved, and then persecution took Paul away from them. It may be that all of the believers in this church had been in the Lord for less than a year when Paul wrote this letter. This was a church full of believers with largely unproven character and unproven theology. They needed discernment. And and as I just mentioned to you, not, not only were they inexperienced, but they had no pastor. Paul, through persecution, was taken away from them. Their their founding pastor was no longer there for them to rely on in a day-by-day basis. Add to that to the fact that they did not yet have the New Testament because it had not been completed at that time. In fact, the New Covenant was still a very new covenant. These believers really had very little to no protection. They were wide open to false teaching. They were wide open to worldly influences. The Apostle Paul knew that, and he knew that if this church was going to remain faithful, if this church was going to be useful to the Lord, then they would need discernment. And that's why in these verses, Paul instructed the Thessalonians on how to be discerning, especially relating the issue of prophecy. And as we look this morning together at Paul's instruction here, this passage, it, it provides us with a biblical approach to discernment that will protect us from being influenced by damaging influences. Specifically, this morning, as we look together at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 through 22, what I want you to see is two perspectives on discernment that will help you distinguish the truth from error. Two perspectives on discernment. And we see the first of these two perspectives in verses 19 and 20. Here the Apostle Paul warned the Thessalonians about some of the 
pitfalls of discernment, the, the pitfalls of discernment. In other words, some of the dangers that might accompany this idea of discernment. And, and, and what Paul understood is that when immature hearts are focused on evaluating others, there are always going to be potential problems, aren't there? That's why Paul begins here with some negative commands. Here's what you're not supposed to do. It's, it's because he knew the danger of an unbalanced view of discernment and, and the potential for pride even as we think through this issue. And yet, Paul knew that despite the dangers, despite the potential problems, being undiscerning simply isn't an option. So here, he's telling us, here's what you need to look out for. For instance, one of the pitfalls that we need to be aware of in the work of discernment is the danger of resisting the Holy Spirit. Resisting the Holy Spirit. That's a, that's a pitfall that we need to watch out for. Or, or as, as Paul puts it, do not quench the Spirit. In other words, Paul's pointing out here that, that it would be possible for us in the name of discernment to, to quench the work of the Spirit. You say, well, what does that mean to quench the Spirit? Well, the word quench here, it, it refers to, to basically putting out a fire, or, or sometimes it's used to describe rendering something ineffective. It's a, it's a word that often connotes suppressing something, and I think that's really the idea here. Believer, don't suppress the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't resist His work. In other words, in, in the name of discernment, it would be possible for us to pridefully resist the work of the Spirit in our lives and in our church. And so we need to be careful of that. But what would that look like? Well, as you know, this verse is been misused to justify a lot of things, hasn't it? Do not quench the Spirit doesn't mean we can swing from the chandelier on Sunday morning, does it? Paul didn't intend for this verse to be used in many of the ways that it has been used. And since it's so frequently misquoted, I think it's worth considering some of the ways that we might quench the Spirit in our life. For instance, you can quench the Spirit in your life when you live a life of unholiness. What's the name given to the Spirit? He is the Holy Spirit. He's the sanctifying Spirit. He is a Spirit who, who empowers us and guides us in lives of holiness, which means when we reject His influence and walk in unholiness, what are we doing? We're suppressing His influence in our life. Or, or how about this? You want to quench the Spirit in your life? Here's what you should do. Stop serving the church. Spirit is one who gifts us. What are these, what are these Spirit-filled giftings for? They're for the work of the collective ministry of the church. They're so that I can serve you and so that you can serve me. So if you want to resist the Spirit's influence in your life, just stop serving the church. That would quench the Spirit in your life. Or how about this? We quench the Spirit in our life when we do not pursue the fruits of the Spirit. Remember the book of Galatians? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control against such things. There is no, no law. That, that's the fruit of the Spirit. That is how the Spirit is trying to influence you. 
If you ever think to yourself, is, is this from the Spirit right now? Go to Galatians 5, read the fruit of the Spirit, and if it lines up with those fruits, then yes, it's coming from the Spirit. If it doesn't, it's not from the Spirit. That might be a bit simplistic, but it's pretty true. Which also means in our life, when we're not pursuing these Spirit-wrought fruits, then what we're doing is we're resisting the Spirit's work in our life. Or how about this? And I, and I think this is really where the Apostle Paul is going in this text. If you want to quench the ministry of the Spirit in your life and in your heart, you know what you need to do? You just need to suppress the truth. Just, just reject the truth of Scripture. Pay little attention to the Bible. Don't spend any time in God's Word on your own. Don't pay attention when it's taught to you by faithful elders and pastors from this pulpit and in Sunday school classes. Don't listen to the Scriptures and discipleship. If you want to quench the ministry of the Spirit, just ignore the Bible. Remember, it's the Spirit of God who uses the Word of God to sanctify the people of God. The, the Bible is His primary instrument that He inspired and He uses in our sanctification, which means if you want nothing to do with the Holy Spirit's influence in your life, then you just stay as far away from God's Word as possible. And I think that's really something of what Paul is warning about here. Paul is warning us of of quenching the Spirit by pridefully suppressing the truth in the name of discernment. You say, how would that work? Well, when you are so discerning that you can see all the problems in other people's lives, but you can't see how the truth impacts your life, what are you doing? You're quenching the Spirit. As Jesus said, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? The answer to that is pride. We, we, we pridefully suppress the truth and resist the ministry of the Spirit when we re refuse to allow God's Word to convict us of our errors. If you read the Bible all the time and all it does is only confirm what you thought the whole time, if the Bible has only and always confirmed all of your political thoughts, you might be reading your Bible wrong. The Spirit, through the Scripture, convicts us of error. But if we're so discerning that we already know everything, what are we going to do? will quench that work of the Spirit. Or, or if we are, we are pridefully suppressing the truth but by refusing to allow the, the truth to confront us in any way. Oh, I can't believe you started quoting Bible verses to me about my life. Don't you know? You know how many training center classes that I've been to? I've got this figured out. I'm discerning. You don't need to, you don't need to point out the truth and how it reflects in my life. We don't, we don't allow the Scriptures to convict us. We don't allow the Scriptures to confront our wrong thinking. We don't allow the Scriptures to, to challenge our faith at all. But frequently, the kind of truth suppression that quenches the Spirit, it can often 
pridefully take place in the name of discernment. We need to be careful of that. Which leads to another warning, another pitfall that Paul points out to us in verse 20. See, Paul wants us to be aware that in the work of discernment, there is a danger in rejecting God's revelation completely, to just closing yourself off to it so that, so that nobody can speak truth into your life because you're so discerning already that I don't need to hear it from someone else. I'm actually here to find the errors in your life. You're not here to be pointing anything out to me. Paul, Paul would have us be very careful of this and that, that's why he says in verse 20, do not despise prophecies or prophetic utterances. What's Paul talking about here? Well, you have to understand that in the New Testament, prophecy included both occasional new revelation where you would have a prophet who would essentially do foretelling and say, this is what's going to happen. This is new revelation from God. But you also had prophecy in the sense of foretelling proclaiming what's already been revealed. In other words, preaching. And, and Paul doesn't really distinguish what he's talking about here, whether, whether it be some kind of new revelation or, or whether it be just the, the proclamation of old revelation. He doesn't distinguish between it here. He just says, don't despise it. When God's words proclaimed, don't despise that. You say, this is Hope Bible Church. We don't despise the preaching of God's Word. Well, I know you don't, but we're all tempted to, aren't we? The, the word despise here, it can mean disdain. It, it, it really has the idea of, of rejecting something without any consideration at all. It, it, it implies an, an attitude of superiority and contempt who are they to tell me that? And I think part of the problem with this church, and maybe part of the problem for us today, is that there was so much false teaching going on. There was so much bad preaching going on that the easiest thing to do is just reject it all in the name of discernment. I've got, I've got it figured out. I know the gospel. There's so many false teachers out there. I just don't want to hear anybody talk about anything. And maybe you've even shared the gospel with somebody like that before. Oh, you're just going to tell me about church, and you're going to tell me about these things. I went to church. I got burned. I'm never going back there again. I figured out that racket. Paul's warning against that kind of heart. Because you know, the, the, the problem would have been that if the Thessalonians had, had despised, rejected outright all prophecy instead of discerning true prophecy, then what would have happened is they would have quenched the work of the Spirit and rejected the revelation of God. And of course, for us today, prophecy has changed in its nature. Since the completion of the New Testament, we have a complete revelation in God's Word. We don't have new prophecy in the sense of foretelling things, in the sense of new revelation. But even though the nature of prophecy has changed for us today, the pitfalls of discernment haven't changed, have they? It's, it's, it's easy to be so discerning that you can't even listen to preaching anymore without finding some fault in the message. Oh, I've, you know, I've been around expository preaching so long, and man, that guy bungled that introduction. 
How long is it going to take him to get to the text? I don't know. That's kind of a leaky hermeneutic there. Ah, Did he really interpret that conjunction just right? He spent more time on point one than point two. It was such an imbalanced message. And, And really, I'm just calling to mind all the comments I received in preaching lab and seminary, but you get the idea, don't you? Maybe for you, it's a little different. Maybe it's, does this guy realize how boring he is? This guy lost me a long time ago. If he wanted me to listen, he should have brought his A game today. It's easy to be so discerning that You can find faults with any kind of teaching that you might hear in the church. Rather than being thankful for the presence of truth and and an imperfect delivery, you're just sitting there saying, man, this is just not up to my standard. And what happens is that you become so, quote, discerning that in reality you've just become a critic of the word rather than a faithful hearer of the word. That's what Paul's warning us against here. That's why he says, do not despise the prophecies. Do not despise it in your heart. Do not become an automatic critic in your heart when you hear the truth being proclaimed. And this is, this is a reality in our world. This is a danger. You can see it all the time on the internet. I kind of I hope you, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but if you do, you'll know there are all kinds of, quote, discernment blogs out there, Christian discernment blogs, which really are, are nothing more than the national inquire for the church, and instead of on the magazine rack, it's, it's on your social media post and, and timeline. Much people will just go around and thinking they're serving the church by criticizing everybody. Forget the fact that they're not elders of anything. Forget the fact that they have not been approved by any church. For, forget the fact that they have no shepherding responsibility for the people in my church whatsoever. They want to influence everybody and show everybody just how discerning they are. And by the way, if you critique them, you then will become the object of their next discerning revelation. It's toxic, it's unhelpful. You know it's not from the Spirit because it's not marked by the fruit of the Spirit. And more than that, you have a lot of these so-called discernment blogs that are just rejecting all kinds of truth for illegitimate reasons. And the fact of the matter is, as Paul is alluding to here, true discernment leads to the reception of the truth, not the rejection of the truth. Discernment does not lead to a prideful skepticism of all teaching in your heart. It cultivates a humble submission to the truth in your heart. Discernment doesn't produce contempt for all other teachers out there. It, It forges in our hearts convictions about the truth that we can stand on. True discernment never rejects truth. It never neutralizes the ministry of the Spirit. Instead, through the receiving of the truth, it produces the fruit of the Spirit. That's why we have to watch out for these pitfalls that Paul points out here. Paul's negative commands in verses 19 and 20 reveal some of these potential pitfalls of discernment. And by the way, these pitfalls are dangerous 
ultimately because of the danger of our pride. That's the real pitfall, isn't it? That rather than being humbled in the act of discernment and the pursuit of truth, instead, our pride is emboldened by it. That's the danger. When discernment leads to pride, just know that ultimately you are going to quench the ministry of the Spirit and you're going to end up suppressing the truth in your life. Be careful of that. Be aware of the pitfalls of discernment. But, of course, Paul doesn't end there, does he? And in addition to warning readers about these pitfalls, in verses 21 and 22, Paul goes on to instruct, instruct his readers on the practice of discernment. So we, we saw the pitfalls of discernment. Now, now Paul is going to instruct us with some positive commands on the practice of discernment. And we need this. We need this because the, 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 the misuses, the imbalances, the, the dangers that could potentially come with discernment, they are not an excuse to be undiscerning. The, the, the solution to the danger of our own pride is not to avoid discernment altogether. That would be a disaster. That's why Paul makes this transition here. Don't quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but there's the contrast. There's what you should avoid, but now here's positively what it looks like to fulfill your responsibility to be a discerning believer who's influenced by the truth. This is what you have to do. And for starters, the practice of discernment, it requires testing or examination. Paul says, test everything. Examine all things. That's our responsibility. Sometimes we get around certain influences, certain teachers, and we say, okay, I know I got to be on alert here. Or, or we turn on certain TV networks and we say, man, I got to be alert here. They've got an agenda. But then there are other networks, other websites, other individuals that we say, I, I, I can just turn off all discernment here because they must be telling me God's full truth. Be careful, believer. Be careful. Especially when you're talking about unbelieving influences. You turn on the TV, and the moment you turn on the TV, every channel you watch has an agenda. That's to make money off of selling advertising, not to inform you of the truth. That's why Paul's words ring so true. Test everything. Greek word here for test or examine is dokimadzo. Test it. Prove it. Determine whether it's genuine. Examine it to find out if it's good. See if it is approved by God. And this is what we need to do. We need to test everything that is influencing us and the way we think because not everything is going to prepare us for eternity. But Philippians chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that, why do we need discernment? So that 
you may approve, there's that dokimazo testiness, you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. If you want to be prepared for the return of Christ, you need to be discerning about the influences that shape the way you think. Discernment requires testing. We have to diligently study God's Word for clarity. We have to intentionally consider the implications of God's truth for our life and what we think about certain situations. We need to examine our own hearts. We need to examine our own lives for obedience to make sure that we're living in conformity to the truth. And we need to recognize along the way that this kind of testing, this kind of discernment, it is glorifying to the Lord. Testing doesn't imply a a self-sufficient skepticism. It is a worshipful desire to submit to Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul in Romans 12 said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now listen to this. Do not be conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is our responsibility. We have to test these things to make sure they're pleasing to the Lord. We can't instinctually or automatically know what is good or what comes from God. It requires the diligent practice of testing, of examination. You say, okay, well, how do you do that? How do you examine something? How how do you test it? Well, here Paul would have us to know that the practice of discernment also requires truth. You say, where does that come from? (laughs) Paul says, test everything, examine everything, all things. Hold fast what is good. And actually, literally here, the Apostle Paul attaches the the Greek article to this. You know, if, if if you're interested in grammar, that might be interesting to you. If not, you can Google it later or edit this part of the sermon out. But, but, but Paul adds the article here, and, and really, you could translate it here, hold fast to the good. What is the good here? Well, I, I don't think it's necessarily talking about what is morally good. It's definitely not talking about what is aesthetically good. I think when Paul talks about the good here, he's talking about the good standard of God's Word. You need to discern what prophecies, or or in our case, what influences are in line with the good standard of God's truth. In other words, discernment requires that we test all influences according to the good standard of what's revealed in the Scriptures. God's Word is a standard. Ultimately, every prophecy, every teaching, every every counsel that we give, all, all the advice that we receive, everything that you hear on TV, every opinion that is broadcast to the world, ultimately and finally, it will one day be judged by God according to the standard of God's Word. 
which is why the Scriptures must now be the standard of our discernment. We cannot automatically accept or reject something based on how we feel about it in the moment. It must be examined in the light of God's inerrant truth. That's why Paul commanded us to hold fast to what is good. Hold fast to the good standard of God's Word. And and by the way, there are a lot of other things that you can hold fast to. Be careful, believer. You, You can't hold fast to what you find in the culture. You can't test something and discern it based on what the culture thinks. You can't test something with your own wisdom. You understand that reality is not determined by what you can understand, right? You know, you explain a doctrine to somebody and they say, that doesn't feel right to me. I don't understand that. That can't be true. Well, we're serving a God that kind of exceeds our capacity, right? So just because I can't understand it in every way that I might want to understand it doesn't mean it's not true. I, I can't test things ultimately by my own wisdom. I also can't test things by my own sense of peace, as a pastor, when somebody says, hey, pastor, can I meet with you? I want to talk about a decision I have to make. And, and the first words out of their mouth is, I, I know what you're going to say, but I just want to let you know, I just feel such a sense of peace about this. I know it's going to be a bad meeting. We're going to be in trouble. Now, now if what you mean by that is, look, pastor, I've examined this in the Scripture. I, I can't find anything that, that is sinful about it. And, and I have a clean conscience about it. My, my conscience is clear that it's okay to do it. If that's what you mean by have a peace about it, then praise the Lord. But if what you mean, and this is what most people mean by it, if what you mean by it is, it just feels so good. Sin usually does feel good, doesn't it? That, that moment right before you gratify the flesh, it feels so good. In the moment, it feels so right. And then afterwards, you realize that you have dishonored Christ. We can't test things by how it makes us feel. We, we can't test things by some inner sense of our own peace. What, do we must, what must we test things with? The truth of God's Word. Does it match up with what Scripture says? Does, does it get Christ right? John in 1 John 4 says, if somebody's teaching doesn't get Christ right, don't trust them. I would second that. It's always good to second what the apostles have written in Scripture, isn't it? Does it get Christ right? Does it get the gospel right? Does this influence make much of me or does it make much of Christ? Does this lead to, to holiness and spiritual fruit? Or does it lead to anger and divisiveness? You can know the validity of an influence by the fruit that it produces. That's why Jesus warned of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing in Matthew 7, 15. He said, you will recognize them by their fruits. You want to know if an influence is good? Examine its fruits according to Scripture. We must test things with the truth if we want to be a truly discerning people. And and, and by the way, this 
practice of discernment, not only does it require for us to, to test and examine things and to do so with God's truth, but, but true biblical discernment always requires total obedience. Or maybe you might put it this way, total conviction. Once you've determined what is consistent with God's Word, you have a responsibility to act on it no matter what the cost. It is spiritually dangerous to know the difference between truth and error without submitting to the truth. Discerning the truth without obeying the truth is a type of hypocrisy that that is not only dangerous, but it will inevitably lead to spiritual compromise and even potentially apostasy. That's why Paul says, hold fast to what is good. Literally, you cling to it, believer. You don't hang on the latest report of uh, of virus numbers. You don't hang on the latest editorial about justice in our country. You hold fast and cling to what it says in God's Word. The idea is that you embrace it wholeheartedly. You make this the conviction of your life. If God has been so kind to you that by His Spirit you're able to tell the difference between the truth and a lie, then once you have come to that place, you cherish the truth. Look, believer, when you find the truth, your flesh is going to want to recoil at it. Because inevitably, when we find the truth, it means we've got to change something about how we thought and even repent of some way in which we were living. And your flesh does not want to do that. You're going to want to recoil at that. Paul says, don't recoil. Embrace it. In fact, in, in a coronavirus age, if we can't embrace anything else, we can at least embrace the truth together, right? I can't get a hug this morning, but we can all embrace the truth. We must. As Hebrews 10.23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. You know why you can hold fast to God's truth? Because God is good and everything that he said, he will accomplish. He will not let you down. So you hold fast. And not only do you hold fast, but at the same time, you reject whatever influence is not from God. Paul says, abstain from every form of evil. Which, by the way, I think this verse has probably been misused quite a bit as well. Avoid the appearance of all evil. Maybe you've heard it translated that way. That's not a good translation. The idea is not that you, should even, uh, you shouldn't even do anything that looks like it might be wrong. That's not the point. That's, you want your life driven by fear of man. You want your kid's life driven by fear of man, mom, dad. Use, use that all the time. Uh, little Johnny, I don't know if there's a little Johnny here. We don't have a little Johnny in our church. But little Johnny, you need to avoid even the appearance of all evil. Don't even do something that might look like it's wrong. Well, look, there might be wisdom on that depending on the situation. That's not the point here. Paul's point is that every appearance of evil, every form of false teaching, any occurrence of some kind of ungodly influence, what do you do? Reject it. 
And actually, the word Paul uses here for for rejecting it or abstaining from it, it's the same word he used in chapter 4 for fleeing from sexual immorality. You need to flee from ungodly influences on the way you think in the same way, believer, that you would flee from sexual immorality. That's what Paul's saying. Avoid unbiblical influence. Avoid worldly wisdom so that you can cling to what has come from God. Look, Thessalonian church needed to hear this, did they? A bunch of baby believers living in a pagan world full of false teachers and a whole lifestyle of sin that they were coming out of. They lived in a confusing time that required a great deal of discernment. And so do we. Same is true for us. There are many influences that we need to discern from from private opinions that people pass along to us to public influences that we hear on the internet or TV or radio. We have to be a discerning people. Watching out for the pitfalls of allowing our pride to harden us to the truth of God and the kind of softness we need there. Diligent to test everything with the good standard of God's truth so we can hold fast and obey. Recognizing that not everything that claims to be from God is actually from God. And knowing that not everything that claims to be factually is actually true. We know if we want to be useful to Christ, we must be able to distinguish the truth from error. And that starts by coming back to Christ and His Word. And what a freedom we have to be able to do that. Unbelievers are blinded in their sin. Has there ever been a day, at least in my life, when that's been so clear to see? The blindness, the spiritual blindness? As believers, we've been set free from that through the work of Christ. Christ died on the cross and He rose from the dead so that my sins could be forgiven, so that I could be justified, so that I could be right with God, and so that my eyes could be open to the truth. If you believed in Christ Jesus, that's true of you as well. If you've not believed in Christ Jesus, you should. I know Him. He's worth believing in. But for us as believers… We've been released from the bondage of Satan's lies, which is why we must be all the more diligent and even joyful to practice true Christian discernment that we might be useful to the Lord who saved us. We pray with me. Lord, we do thank you for your word and the opportunity to come to it, and we pray for help. It is so hard to be discerning in this age with so many influences and opinions and statistics and editorials and feelings flying at us. Lord, we pray that you would help us from the kind of pride that would cut us off from the truth and ministry and make us unloving, bitter, cynical people. At the same time, we pray that you would grow our skill in using the truth to discern the truth from error. 
Lord, we need your help in this. We need your grace. And that's why we're so thankful that we have it in Christ Jesus. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen.